Welcome to hour number two, Bruce Hooley Show. Glad to have you along. 94.5 in Dayton, 98.9 in Columbus. All is right with the world. I have my cell phone back. I was without it for a couple hours today. If you missed the top of the show and you have an Android phone, there is a way to make it ring if it's on silent. Uh, don't hold me to the exact web address, but I think you go to android.com backslash find. And it will show you on your Google timeline where it was the last time it was pinged by the Google Maps thing. And then you can make it ring for five continuous minutes. And hopefully the good people, wherever it is, will let you know that. So I kind of am a little sad I know that now, Pam, because now I will not stress as much about making sure I know where my phone is all the time since I have that five-minute ring constantly fail-safe. I, I got to tell you, when you when you explained all this to me right before we went on the air, I, it, it kind of creeped me out. Yeah. I was like, what? Yeah, I know. It's, I, did, I said that to my, my beautiful wife, Sherry, who came to my rescue and went and got my phone. Mm-hmm. I said, it's great, but it's creepy. It's very creepy. They can, and you know, it's not like we didn't know this, okay? But that's the case. So, uh, yes. And we've been talking about the uh, helpful advice of the Columbus Dispatch to Mike DeWine for his second term, and they lay out how he should govern. And shockingly, they want him to govern uh, even more like a Democrat than he did during COVID, which, you know, I think is not exactly in line with the will of the voters in the state of Ohio, who increased the supermajorities for Republicans in the House and Senate. Not that they'll govern like it, not that they'll govern like it, because 22 of them have already backstabbed the person that they promised to vote for. As Ohio Speaker of the House, we covered that last week. And uh, by the way, those 22 Republicans have been rebuked by uh, their fellow Republicans, 43 of them. They should be rebuked. They teamed up with uh, all the Democrats in the legislature. So uh, good for them. But we've been talking about the death of meritocracy and the death of expectations, the evil of expectations and how you can't expect things of anyone But wouldn't you know, I came across this story entitled Raising Successful Kids. I talked to 70 parents who raised highly successful kids. Here's the number one parenting style they use. Now, I'm going to assume that if you, like me, are a parent, you share my desire to raise successful kids. So a little helpful hint. It's not news, but I think it's instructive. What did this person, Margot Michal Biznow, find out when she surveyed 70 sets of parents about raising successful kids. The number one criteria to raising a successful child is structure. Let kids make their own choices as long as expectations are met. There's that word again, expectation. Mm. Guide them through how things can be done better. And expect them to do things even when it's hard. Oh my goodness. We can't have that. We can't have hard be a part of the equation. Well, we can if we want our kids to be successful. I've talked before on this show about a podcast I heard years ago that was revelatory to me, where the person on the podcast said in their family they have a rule. It's called the hard thing rule. Every child is required to do one hard thing and continue to work at mastering it for a year. They can change it after a year, but they can't bug out on it during the year. And it ingrains discipline, delayed gratification, all the things that 
shockingly or not, are common to most successful business owners and CEOs, that they've experienced adversity and they fought back. How many times have you heard people say, oh, I lost my first million and then I made 10 million more. The mistakes I learned from losing my first million helped me make the 10 million more. So with that as our cling item to cling to, our port in the storm, expectations not bad, uh, allow me to quote to you Home Depot's co-founder, Bernie Marcus, who was interviewed by CNBC, and they asked him about, you know, would you do anything different if you founded Home Depot now? Because Bernie Marcus is in his 80s right now, so is Arthur Blank, the other co-founder of Home Depot. Would you do anything different now? Would you learn anything? Probably made mistakes in Home Depot. Hey, could you do it better the second time you do it? Bernie Marcus says, um, no, the success of Home Depot could not be replicated in today's economic and political environment. He said, we would end up with 15 or 16 stores. I'm wrong. Bernie's 93. He said, I don't think we could go any further. Why is that, Bernie? And he said, because nobody works. Nobody gives a, I'll clean it up, darn. And then he quotes an imaginary person. Just give it to me. Send me money. I don't want to work. I'm too lazy. I'm too fat. I'm too stupid. Bernie is decidedly politically incorrect. I apologize if that damaged you. But he's not wrong. Remember last week I told you about the high school principal in Fairfax County, Virginia, who felt like it was not fair that a certain percentage of Asian students at her school were doing well on the National Merit Scholar tests. And so she decided that it's not fair that a lot of the Asian students were doing well. And so she just decided she wouldn't tell them that they did well and that they were designated National Merit Scholars and that she wouldn't tell their parents. Never mind the fact that that certainly cost these students scholarship money that they had coming their way. Did she get sued, by the way? Is there is there a an extra story on this yet? There is. Good. Turns out, remember when Glenn Youngkin was elected governor of Virginia and he... Uh, named or the other guy who was elected at the same time besides Winsome Sears as lieutenant governor, a guy named Jason Miaris, the first Hispanic attorney general in the state of Virginia was named. And Jason Miaris heard about this high school principal at Thomas Jefferson Science and Technology High and said, I think I need to open a criminal investigation into this matter. And so that high school principal is under criminal investigation. And wouldn't you know, wouldn't you know that once Jason Miaris announced his criminal investigation of the principal at Thomas Jefferson Science and Technology High School, that the principals at two other Fairfax, Virginia high schools said, my bad, we forgot to tell the oh, students at our schools that me. they were National Merit Scholars. Oh, no, I'm not kidding you. In an email to parents on January the 8th, yesterday, Langley High School principal Kimberly Greer, African-American, announced that Fairfax County Public Schools Superintendent Michelle Reed would meet with parents to discuss a delay in notifying National Merit Scholarship recipients. They'll have the meeting tomorrow. And then after she announced that, wouldn't you know... That another high school principal at a third Westfield high school in the same district 
told parents it has come to light that Westfield High School students designated as commended students this past fall were also not notified by the school. This is rampant throughout. That if you excel, if you meet expectations, if you strive, if you achieve, if you bounce back from difficulty, you will not be rewarded as we all were rewarded in our day. Remember awards assemblies in school? Yep, I do. Well, heaven forbid we hold an awards assembly anymore. Let me take you to a South Bronx elementary school. South Bronx, New York. Anybody ever been to the Bronx in New York? It is about one of the most hopeless places you can ever be. It is, unless they've cleaned it up, which they may have, but I doubt it. It's New York City. I was there like 20 years ago, and I was at Yankee Stadium visiting a friend. And I, he said, how are you getting back to the, uh, Midtown Manhattan? I said, I'm going to take the subway. He goes, no, 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 <laughs> no, no, no. Don't walk to the subway in the Bronx in the middle of the daytime. I'm like, well, there's got to be cops patrolling. He's like, no, there are no cops patrolling the Bronx. He's like, let me get you a cab. Okay, so that's my impression of the Bronx. Well, you would think that in a place like that, you would do everything you could as an educator to lift kids out of their dysfunction. And you have to sometimes expect more of them and outline what is possible for them. And so that is what I see in the actions of Victoria Nayera the principal of PS333, Longwood Academy of Discovery. She held an assembly to announce a trip to Cirque du Soleil for the highest scoring students in the school, calling each of them by name. The New York Post says, struggling students excluded from the trip were crushed. One boy sobbed so hard that he gasped for breath, and a girl scrawled on paper that she wanted to kill herself only because... She didn't get a trip to the circus? Critics say Nahara's actions were beyond cruel. Announcing kids who achieved the clearly defined expectations and won a trip to the circus, that just announcing that in an assembly was beyond cruel. And, of course, they are now encouraging school officials to take the appropriate action against her. Is Barney still on the air? It's the Barney generation. Yeah, it's the, oh, you played soccer? Here's a medal. But we didn't win a game. That's okay. Here's your medal. That's the generation. So this will not end well for America. It's not trending well at the moment, as you know. If you were with us in the last segment, you were probably outraged when I told you that not just one Fairfax, Virginia high school has been forgetting to notify students who attained National Merit Scholar level scores on their test. But it turns out after the Virginia Attorney General announced that there would be a criminal investigation, oh, look. There's two more schools in the same district that were late in notifying you. And then there's a Bronx, New York elementary school principal who tried to incentivize achievement by saying, hey, if you reach certain test score levels or grade levels or behavioral levels, we'll give you a trip to Cirque du Soleil. And she had the temerity to read the names at an awards assembly out loud of those who met the standard. Well, 
if that bothers you, let me assure you that there is hope for people who experience adversity and who respond when things don't go well. Nevertheless, roll with the punches and find a way to take those circumstances and use them to benefit others. We've all heard the details by now of Buffalo Bills safety DeMar Hamlin's collapse on the field a week ago today in Cincinnati. It captivated the nation because, of course, none of us are used to seeing an NFL player go into cardiac arrest and die on the field. He was thankfully resuscitated twice and brought back to life, and he's made remarkable progress in the past week at University of Cincinnati Hospitals. Breathing tube was removed late in the week. He's talking. He's talking to his family, and over the weekend he posted messages on social media. One of them said, Game day. Nothing I want more than to be running out of that tunnel with my brothers. God is using me in a different way today. Tell someone you love them today. Let's go, Bills. Now, he could be mad, angry, this isn't fair. The NFL forced me to take the vaccine. I'm going to sue somebody. That's not how he is processing the adversity in his life. He is using it to market a T-shirt. Wait, not for his own benefit. All proceeds of the T-shirt that quotes what he wrote on a pad when he woke up in the hospital, did we win? That's what he wanted to know from the nurses. Did my team win? Did we win? That and the shape of a heart, which you can make with your hand and your thumbs and your fingers, that will be on the T-shirt. Did we win in the shape of a heart? It is, I think, a phenomenal message to be conveyed. And the fact that he is going to donate all the proceeds to first responders who saved his life and to the University of Cincinnati Hospital where he has recovered that's the right response. That is the right response. I don't know much about DeMar Hamlin, but the more I learn about him and the more I see how he is handling all this, the more I am gratified that there are people in the world who, in this case, are not afraid to acknowledge that it is God's goodness that has been manifested in their life, even among circumstances that most of us have given the choice would certainly avoid. And isn't that the way it often is? Think back through your life. I can think back through mine. Everything that has happened to me that I have grown significantly from, everything, is a circumstance that if you would have given me the chance up front, hey, this is going to happen. You can endure it, push through it, or we'll just wipe it away right now and it will never happen. I would not have had to think very long before I would have said, no thanks, no, I don't really want any part of that. All of us would like to go through life with the old Staples marketing technique, right? We'd all like to go through life with the easy button. Where's the easy button? Let's push that. In fact, let's stand on that. Every single day, let's live on the easy button. But we don't grow very much, if at all. If our life is nothing but an existence on the easy button. Damar Hamlin, I am excited to see what this young man achieves in his life and the lives he touches. 
even if he doesn't return to the field. That'll be phenomenal if he returns to the field. It'll be great. But DeMar Hamlin has already impacted countless lives. If he does nothing more than bringing to light the fact that when something happens that we can't explain, the proper place to turn is not inward, is not outward, it's upward. He brought prayer back into a place where it was acceptable in America to talk about prayer and to pray. It's exceedingly sad that we find that to be a recourse appropriate only when a 24-year-old professional athlete collapses before our eyes. Not when we get attacked by a foreign adversary, whether it's a government or a terrorist. Although we did do that 20 years ago. I don't think we'd do it anymore. The first thing we do now is blame whoever we can blame for it. Was there a call to prayer when COVID came up and we didn't know how serious COVID was? Was that the first thing we did? Let's pray. No. Shut it down. Wear a mask. Don't stand next to that person. Be six feet away. Right? We're deeply invested in man's fixes for things. How's that working out? How's it working out for us with COVID? How's it working out on the border? How's it working out in Afghanistan? How's it working out with gas prices, with inflation, with the economy? How's it working out? It's not. It's not working out. Why is it not working out? Well, because in the case of the administration in office now, it's because it's hard to get good results when you are in defiance of one of God's 10 rules given to us to make our life easier which is this administration is incapable, it seems, of telling the truth on anything. Daryl Issa, a former elected official, noted yesterday that Joe Biden went to the border and they cleaned up El Paso and that that was a lie. Everything about this administration is a lie. Everything about it. And God didn't tell us not to lie because he's trying to ruin our fun. If you think of God as a professor or a teacher, he wants us to pass the test of life. And so he gives us the rules that will allow us to pass the test. But if we refuse to adhere to those rules, should we be surprised that we fail the test? 